You're listening to the latest preaching from Brixham Community Church. For the next three weeks, I'm going to be talking about the idea of being inside out. Inside out. So um, over a year ago, I was thinking about these toys and um, I've, I've looked on the internet for pictures of the toy that's in my imagination. So it might not even exist, but it's kind of um, a toy that looks like a box that's just closed up. But when you open it, um, nothing comes out. It just turns inside out on itself and it becomes um, houses and things like that. We we certainly used to have a a book that that did that. You know, pop-up books like this one on the screen. We used to have one where the the, the backs would, it, it would rotate so much that the backs would touch each other and then there was actually a bit of um, thread where it would tie to hold it together and it was this spherical um, pop-up display. Um, And that picture just kept coming back to me um, over a year ago and I I shared these thoughts on the Wednesday Night Live meetings um, about a year ago. Just this idea of this is a picture of what the church should be like. You know, when that book that's on the screen is is closed, you have no idea what it's like on the inside and and a church that is closed, nobody really sees what is on the inside and so God's plan for us is that we just turn that little bit more inside out. The other image I had was when I was in the Philippines, I, I learned how they eat a mango and they, they, they cut it in half and remove the, the central stone and then they just crisscross with a knife and then they turn the skin inside out. Well, I'd rather be the person eating the fruit than the mango itself because that sounds pretty painful and it's quite a, a nasty image really to say, well, God wants to do that to you. He wants to cut you in half, score you across and, and turn you inside out. But in a, in a way, it is that painful for many of us to, to start thinking about being less closed about the gospel and more open. It is that damaging to our, um, to, to our psyche sometimes that, to think that way. So in the first talk today, I'm going to just talk about generally about the inside out church. And then second week, I'm going to talk about the inside out Christian, a little bit more individualized and personal. And then the third one is called outside in. Once you've really got used to that idea, I'm going to confuse you even more and switch it around and talk about outside in. And uh, if you're clever, you'll realize I'm talking about um, getting people who are on the outside of faith in. And I'm not talking about bums on seats in here. I'm talking about people knowing Jesus and having a personal relationship with him, going on to be baptized and filled with the Spirit and um, living a life. So they are truly in. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And that's the, they're on the outside at the moment. The Bible says that people who don't know Jesus are lost. Um, it sounds cruel, it sounds harsh, but that is the reality of what the Bible teaches. And if we, if we say we believe the Bible, that's what we've got to say we subscribe to. And, and so you have friends who are lost. There may be even people in here this morning, I don't know every face, that, that actually as the, you're listening to me, you think, actually, yes, I'm lost. I don't know Jesus. Well, I'm happy to say we can, we can fix that right now um, and we can fr- fix that today. So um, anyway, the third talk is about bringing the outside in. Um, so today, though, we're just talking about the, the inside-out church. 
When I was a school teacher, I had um, I, I taught in a, a Church of England school for 19 years, and one of the things was a, a, a series of lessons on the church, and one of the things was to do about the church building, and we had this bird's eye view of a church, and the title of the lesson was uh, The Inside of a Church, and if you were lucky or if you were well organised, you could arrange a little trip to the, the nearest Anglican church, and you'd learn to label things like um, font and nave and pew and um, lectern and pulpit and rude screen. Yes, rude screen. Find out later what that is. Um, and You know, the, the higher church it is, the, the more stuff there is to label and it's very exciting stuff. So if you were to ask one of my pupils, if they were good students, what, uh, what, it, what the inside of a church is, that would be where their mind went. But not me. Um, I don't think of the church as a building unless we're using the building as an, uh, an analogy to say that we're like a building, uh, but not we're are a building. Um, We could do some sort of, to think about what the church is like on the inside, we could do some sort of theological study and we could look at some of the things St. Paul said. We call him St. Paul. Let's see, I slipped into Anglicanism there. The Apostle Paul, we're all saints. It can be called St. Paul as long as you're St. You as well. Uh, Anyway, um, the Apostle Paul said, he said that we are a bit like a building, Um, not that the building is an important thing as a structure. We're talking about the church as an analogy. He also said um, the, the church is like a, a body with many parts. We could do a study of that and, say, and then think, well, if that's going to go inside out, what are those body parts like and, and, and how's that look on the outside when it reaches out into our community? Community is our middle name, after all. Uh, we could look at other... Um, things about the church and we could get quite tied up in knots just to try all do that in one sermon so to make it simple uh, for the talk of for this for the purpose of this talk what I thought was why don't we just assume that for now to keep it simple the church and this church in particular is a community of people who number one love God and number two love people because they're the two greatest commandments to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself so thinking about that and thinking what would it look like if we just forget personalities and the past and forget everything and just think in our heads <laughs> what else do you think uh, just think this through with that try and try and let go and put on the shelf any other preconceived ideas what would a community of people who really love God and really love people what would they look like if they turned all of that inside out um, I was in Torquay, um, which is at the church that Alan and his wife's there, Vicky as well, um, they go to a church um, which is connected to ours, um, Riviera Life Church, and it was a meeting of church leaders from Torbay, so there was people from all denominations, and we were discussing uh, about mission. And the, there were two representatives who'd come from the Philo Trust, which if you've heard of J. John, that's the Philo Trust. Um, and they were saying that J. John often says how um, if there's three W's um, that the church does, it's worship, it's well-being, 
and it's witness. And he says the worship, we, we, we generally, in most churches, we get that right and we're good at the worship. And we're really good at the well-being. We look after one another. We're a loving family church here. Uh, and a lot of people who visit say how great that is. And they notice it straight away. But it's the third W, the witness, that we seem to not always get right. So what would it really look like if a church that was worshipping and caring about the well-being of one another stepped outside of the, the circle of the church and started to act in a way that was um, really community-minded and inside out. So this, keeping this image in my mind of inside out. Well, there's, there's two parts of scripture that I want to look at. I won't spend ages on them. We'll, we'll finish in time for coffee and you can discuss um, everything that you've seen and have a look at the, 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 the display at the back as well. But the two parts of scripture, one of them is just to go, let's go to the, the first church after it was, soon after it was born and see what was happening there. Uh, I've just got two points from there. And then we'll just look at the Great Commission. And I've got, <laughs> I've got 10 points on the Great Commission, but they're not long, I promise. Um, okay, so we've turned, if we turn these elements inside out, let's have a look at this great story that I love in Acts chapter 5. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. I've jumped right into the middle of a story but the the religious leaders of the day are jealous of the early church because of its growth and um, because of what what God is doing through the expansion of the church so they arrest the apostles and put them into public jail verse 19 of Acts chapter 5 but during the night an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out verse 20 go Stand in the temple courts, he said. This is the angel speaking to the apostles. Go, stand in the temple courts and tell the people all about this new life. That's a message from heaven. It's an angel telling the apostles, there's a reason I've set you free out of this jail. And there is a reason Jesus has set you free out of the prison that you were in before you knew him. And he's saying, go and and." It might not be the temple courts, but go to the place where you'll be listened to because that's where they would find people that would be gathering and where they would have a voice. Go to the place. You've been set free. Now go to the place where you have got a voice. Go to the places where you will be heard and tell the people all about this new life. Okay, so that's really important, that word all, because... We have sometimes made the gospel easy to listen to. I say we as a church with a capital C, the worldwide church. Come to Jesus because it's great. All right? Come to Jesus and everything's fine. God loves you so much. We've made the gospel easy. But there is information in the gospel. And the angel said all, and it is all the word the, the word in the Greek is all. It's panta. It's and it's actually all the words about this new life. So it's just tell them everything, all the words, everything there is to say. Say it. Don't hold back. It's all. Tell them everything. And that sometimes leaves us a little bit uncomfortable because the gospel is offensive to some people. It, it tells us that we are sinful and that's not even a word that sounds like a modern word that people would understand or if they did, they'd just be offended by it. I have sinned. I am not right with God. I am actually 
opposed to God unless I surrender my life to him. I am at war with God. But Jesus has died, the ultimate war hero. Jesus has died. And rather than winning this war against me and God by killing me, he's, he's died in my place. There is information in the gospel that needs to be shared. Now, I'm not saying that you have to go out and bash people over the head with that straight away, but there is information at some point that needs to be shared for people to respond to. How can they respond to a message if they haven't heard it clearly? And the, the challenge I've had as I've been studying this, and I don't mean studying it academically, I just mean praying it through and reading the Bible, is all of this news needs to be shared with people the whole gospel, the full gospel. Let us be a church that stands for all of the gospel. In an age where um, there are no limits and you can believe what you want and think what you want and um, be whatever gender you want to be, there was a guy, I don't know if he did it tongue-in-cheek, but he's, he's put in an appeal because he wants a change of age. And I don't know if he's doing that just to, to spark a conversation about, well, if you can change your gender, I can change my age. And his main reason is because on Tinder, three... Three of you know what Tinder is in this room. It's a dating app. Uh, on Tinder, I get a lot more uh, people interested in me if, if I'm uh, in my 40s rather than in my 60s. So I, I want to change my age by legal record. And he's, going, he's trying to do it. You know, it was in the paper the other week. In an age where we can talk in those kind of terms. And you know what? It, went, it, was, it, was, it was in the paper, but I saw it on the news. Uh, and it went straight to the weather forecaster. And they do this kind of link over. And, and she says, well, you can't change your age because you are what you are. And I'm like, right, okay, yeah. Well, let's see where else you might want to apply that. Anyway, I'm not going on to those issues today. But in an age where there is confusion and there is the ability to say, I'll believe what I believe and this is my truth, now tell me yours, we need to just be a little bit honest with people. People are actually appreciative if we're honest with them. I had a friend who, uh, sorry, an acquaintance um, through, uh, through work where I used to work that we went up to Lancaster University sometimes, went to the University of Cumbria sometimes and there was a Christian lecturer there who um, he was, he, he, he um, lectured on philosophy and Christianity and Christian ethics and there were a lot of Muslims in his classes and he um, and, and I said to him, how do, you, how do you talk to Muslims when you're teaching them about the Christian faith? And he said, I'm unashamedly Christian in my views, and I have a robust Christian standpoint, and they respect me for it. And he, and he, he went on to say, when Christians undermine what they believe in order to be accessible to others, they lose the respect of the Muslim community. Wow! You know, so, and as at the time I was teaching in a school where there were quite a few Muslim students, um, without saying you're wrong and I'm right, um, th there's a respectful civil way of communicating what you believe in. We've got to get the full gospel across to people, otherwise they can't respond to it. Okay, so that was point one. Um, when the high priest and the associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. So they don't realise that the apostles have been set free. Remember, they've been put in jail for preaching the gospel, uh, and now they've gone out and they're preaching the gospel, and they've been set free. So they've gone to catch up with the apostles in jail, but on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors, but when we 
opened them, there was no one inside. So hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what they might do. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, I'm with the Sanhedrin, that's their job, you know. At that, the, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared the people would stone them. This is heavy stuff. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. This is big stuff. This is the full assembly, full gathering, and they're being questioned. Now, my first question would have been, how did you get out of there? But anyway, they, they, they've bypassed that. They've got over it already. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. That's interesting, isn't it? Despite the fact they were given strict orders. I don't know how many of you feel like you've been given strict orders not to share the gospel with anybody, but I don't feel I have. But they still went ahead anyway. It might come to that at some point. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And Peter's like, thank you. (laughs) And are determined to make us guilty of Jesus' blood. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Well, the, The point I really wanted to say was, what if, what if somebody who was really opposed to the gospel and lived in Brixham and had a little bit of power said, do you know what, that Brixham Community Church, they've flipping filled the town with the gospel. What are we going to do about them? Be great, wouldn't it? I hope you think so. I hope you're with me. I hope you think that it would be a good thing if we have filled Jerusalem, filled our Jerusalem, our Brixham, our Torbay with the teaching of Jesus Christ. So number one, we are to go where people will listen. Go and stand in the temple courts and preach the whole message. Tell the people all about this new life. And number two, imagine being accused of filling Brixham with the gospel. Now, I know we do good works and I know we do outreach through helping with Brixham Does Care and and lots of other things. Many people in this church do some amazing things and that is all fantastic. And I know we love people into the kingdom, but there's got to be a point where the the love that people are receiving, it's recognised that there's something supernatural about what we're doing and there's something different about us and there's got to be a point where they hear the gospel. And may I say, it might just be that they're not ready to come in on a Sunday morning Morning, and it might have to be you that shares it and not me. They might not be ready for Sunday mornings, but they might be ready for the gospel. That's a real problem, isn't it? What is that? Why is that a real problem? If someone's ready for the gospel, but they're not ready for Sunday mornings, what do we do? We've got to get ready to share the gospel. It's very, very simple. And I've, I've got some of those cards I brought out last year that make it really easy to explain in four points. They're on the back. I'll, I'll mention them again in a minute. Anyway, to my ten points. Are you ready? Are you buckled in? All right, it's, it's, it's going to be quick. We're going to look at the Great Commission, which is on the screen. It's only a few verses. But I found ten things in there that I thought that we should just stand up and say, this is what we believe as a church should be our values We have other values as well, but these are 10 values of an inside-out church. 
So still going back to that image of God turning us inside out. And I know we already do lots of things, but I'd still feel there's a challenge to be brought that these are the values that we would have. So number one, Jesus' authority is supreme. It says, Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Remember when he washed his disciples' feet? It was just before that that John says, knowing that all authority was Jesus, he he stooped and washed Jesus' feet. He is in complete authority. I am not going out on my own authority when I speak to someone about Jesus. Jesus. It is Jesus who is in control in heaven and on earth. Know that. Know that. Because the next word is therefore, and that's the second point, is therefore. How can you preach on therefore? Well, actually, the whole basis of what we do is because of Jesus' authority. It's not some political system that's going to make Britain better, although that would happen. It's not some um, philosophical ideal that makes the world a better place. It's Jesus' authority, and he has authority because he died for my sins, rose again, is ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father to the glory of God. And that's where his authority is. In fact, his authority was, he had that authority even before, because when he washed his disciples' feet, he knew that his authority was there. And that's why we go out. We don't go out um, out of legalism. We don't go out and tell people about Jesus because um, we, we know we're supposed to. We do it under the banner of Jesus. So Jesus' authority is the basis and foundation of our work, is the second value. The third value is we will make disciples. It's a command. Therefore, go and make disciples, not converts. Converts sign up for something. Disciples follow. We're not making people who are just going to comply to our set of rules and regulations. We're discipling people. We're teaching people how to follow Jesus like we are. We want to inspire people to live for Jesus 100%. We will make disciples of all nations. Number four, no one will be excluded from our efforts. Rich need Jesus. Poor need Jesus. Black, white, male, female, slave, free. So there aren't slaves anymore. There's more slaves in the world today than there were at the time of the writing of the New Testament. Everybody needs to hear it. Every nation, every person. No one will be excluded. Yeah, but so-and-so would never hear the gospel, would never listen to it. They won't listen. They need to hear the gospel. Make disciples of all nations. Number five baptizing them. We uphold baptism. These are values. I've phrased them in terms of things that we can say we subscribe to as values. We uphold baptism as a command of Jesus. I know of clergy, I know of ministers who say, well, baptism isn't actually that important as long as they're on the journey and they're following Jesus. It's a command. It's there. And as a church, we believe in baptism by full immersion. And that's because we believe that's what Jesus wants us to do. It's a beautiful. It's not. It's, it's not a. Um, it's not a, a ritual in itself that brings something uh, on the person, but it's a beautiful symbol of what Jesus has done in the life of the person. And it's there for one of their first acts of obedience. You know, because it's repent and be baptized in the same breath. So it should be one of their first acts of obedience. It's a sign that actually they meant it. They didn't just put the hand up after I said a prayer or before. They are choosing to get baptised. We uphold baptism as a command of Jesus. Number six. Are we all right? We're halfway through. 
Not the halfway through the talk, just halfway through this last bit. The coffee, I can smell the coffee already. It's okay. We're all going to be all right. It's a bit heavy, this, but you, you know, you, you can cope. I feel, I feel like you've got that maturity. You can handle this. Uh, number six, we believe in the Trinity because when we baptize disciples, we're making disciples, we're baptizing them, and we're baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So in this discipling, there is teaching going on as well. And I, I believe that solid teaching will um, guard us against error. And people are being baptised into the fullness of God. All that God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe in the Trinity. It's one of our values of an inside-out church. Number seven, we will not just teach. We will teach people to obey. No dry doctrine. We're teaching people to obey. It says there, and teaching them to obey. It's there in verse 20. So we're going to teach people how to live for Jesus. That would be a good title for a book, actually. How to live for Jesus. For those who don't know, my father, Dr. David Pett, wrote such a book, and it is an excellent guide to the new convert. If you want some, um, see him afterwards. Number eight, our teaching must be Christ-centred. Um, he, he's, he says, I'm teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Wow, that is a challenge for the church, I think. You might think it's simple, but I've grown up in church. I've been in lots and lots and lots of churches all my life. Never really strayed from the gospel or the, or the walk of faith. And I've been in a lot of churches. And I've heard a lot of things taught that aren't actually exactly what Jesus taught. I've heard a lot of things taught, just things about lifestyle, things about uh, the way you should conduct, conduct yourself, things about how you should dress in church, how you should behave. And when I say in church, I mean on Sunday mornings, because um, in church could mean lots of things, couldn't it? It should do. Just lots of teachings. But let's just stick to the teachings of Jesus and, and I believe that that also means what Paul wrote because, and you know, I think Jesus probably inspired Paul to write the things he wrote. So when it says the teachings I have taught you, I think that, you know, let's stick to those teachings that are specifically there in the Bible and not some extra stuff that we find convenient because it makes Sunday mornings run better or it makes church a little less messy because we all fall into line with some teachings. So let's um, just keep our teaching Christ-centered. Number nine, we are not alone, Jesus is with us. Wow, thank you. Thank you, God. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Surely I am with you always. Because this is quite a heavy commission. We've got to go out. We've got to baptise people. We've got to disciple them. We've got to baptise them in the, in the full, fullness of all that God is. We've got to teach them what Jesus taught them. This is heavy. This is hard. This is hard. How could we possibly do this? Well, by the power and presence of his Holy Spirit, Jesus is with us. We will not do this in our own strength. We won't even try. But some people, sometimes we all try to do things in our own strength sometimes. But we will not do it without Jesus because he is with us. And if you, if you lock into this commission and make it part of your life, then he will, he will be with you in a way that you've not experienced before. You'll know that he's with you. You know, sometimes you're praying for stuff and you, you don't know, am I praying in the will of the Father or not? Is this really God's will? Am I praying in his name when I pray this? When you pray for souls to get saved and you ask God to help you do it, you know you're praying in the will of the Father. He is with you. 
and finally to the very end of the age. We will not stop until Christ comes again. He's with us to the end and this commission carries on until the end. We do believe in the second coming of Jesus and we will not stop trying to win people for his glory into his kingdom until he comes again. And that could be in our lifetime. We don't know. Nobody knows. So the Inside Out Church, there they are. There's 10 values all at once. Um, I'm not going to read them through again, but they're all on the screen. Um, One thing we can do is carry something with us just in case we have a conversation. Um, And this is kind of overlapping into next week where I'm going to talk about the Inside Out Christian. But these four points cards, cards, some people think they're a bit ugly because they're black and white. They're kind of a bit more modern. They, They perhaps more appeal to some of the younger people, look a bit like sort of gaming sort of symbols don't they but the four points you've got a heart a cross a cross and a uh, a question mark and in simple summary the heart means God loves me it's a good good thing to just kind of have in your head really and talk people through if you if you got to a point where you can talk someone through well what is it you actually believe have you ever had that question what is it you actually believe have this read have these four points memorized in your head number one God loves me it's a great place to start. And you can, you can talk as little or as much about that as you want to. The second one is, I have sinned. And you can personalise it. Look, I have sinned. Not you. Don't, not just pointing the finger. I'm not perfect. I'm not good enough. There's a, there's a better explanation on the back of it on, for each of the um, points. The third one is the cross of Jesus. And it says, Jesus died for me. And then the fourth one is, I need to decide to live for God. And then at the end of it, there is a prayer that someone can say. Folds up, there's some at the back there. Uh, You can take one of those. That's just one thing we can do. But as a church, we can be ready. We can start getting ready for people to come in and, and get saved. You know, we've been praying for souls. We've been praying for God to move in this town. Well, let's actually expect God to answer that. But he will answer it through us as we go out into our workplaces and into our uh, bus stops and streets and on the bus and in the, in the supermarket queue or wherever we bump into people or the families that we sit with or um, the people, the friends that we socialise with. As we go out into those places, into what would be like our temple courts, and, and we just wait for that opportunity to tell them, the full gospel of what Jesus has done. For too long, I've been too nice about it. I've, yes, people know I'm a Christian, whether I've had this job or a different job where it's harder for people to recognise I'm a Christian through my work. Um, I've, for too long, I've just been too nice about it. Yes, they know I'm a Christian, um, but there's been points where I could have just gone that little bit further, but I've shrunk back. And I, I, I just confess that that's, that's what I'm guilty of sometimes. Um, So let's all make that effort to be a little bit more inside out because people need Jesus. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit brixham.church.